Hey, I'm Kevin. Hey, I'm Johnny Yee. Tune into our radio show, Philly Rock Live. We play the classic hard rock and metal from the 70s and 80s. We grew up on. We play the new music those same bands are making today. And we play new music from around the world. Not to mention the great bands from our own local scene. You will not hear a mix of music like this anywhere else. If it kicks ass, we, we play, play it. Philly Rock Live. Thursday, 7 to 9 p.m. Philly time. On phillyrockradio.com. Listen online with your mobile device or even your smart speaker. And now, and now, it's time for another edition of the Sports and Metal Podcast. We talk hard-hitting sports and bone-crunching metal. Sports and Metal, because sports and metal go better together. Now here's your host, Jason Voorhees, and Aaron Savage. Oh yeah! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Sports and Metal Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Savage. With me, as always, my co-host and partner in crime, Mr. Jason Voorhees. Yeah, man. What's going on, Jay? How you been? Uh, I'm doing great. How about you? Good. I, I don't think you're doing great, though. <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing great, but I'm going to call you out. I don't think you're doing great, dude. Uh, but let, let me start off why I'm doing great, if I may. The I, Mets... Wait, before you say a word, let me start off. The Mets, unbelievable acquisition, because I know you're going to go on a rant, so let me start off positive. The Mets, with the new owner, Steve Cohn, have made me and many other Mets fans super happy with an amazing trade this week. They got Francisco Lindor and uh, Cookie Carrasco from the Indians and basically gave up not much at all. Ahmed Rosario, the former top prospect who really hasn't panned out with the Mets, and a nice little player, Andre Semenis, who in 60 games hit 265 or something, I'll live. And a couple of marginal prospects, dude. It's the Mets is, is the Mets are starting to become a stacked team with money to spend. Dude, I am pumped because between the Mets and the Dolphins, I think I'm about to see two of the most exciting off seasons in the history of my two teams' franchises. Because I mean, obviously the Dolphins have the number three pick in the draft. Devontae Smith just lit it up last night, 215 yards in the first half of the national championship game, three touchdowns, would have broke the all-time national championship game receiving record of 222 yards had he played the second half. But he, he basically played the first half in the first series of the second half before leaving with a thumb injury, a finger injury. So, I mean, he's unbelievable. And th that wasn't even his best game this year. He had like a 250-yard game earlier this year. And I think a 274-yard game against Mississippi last year. Dolphins should get him with the third pick. I don't think the Jets will take him because uh, they have a lot of other needs unless they think they're going to build around Sam Darnold, which I doubt. But, man, then the Dolphins have the 18th pick in the first round. The Mets are still out there fishing. They could rein in George Springer still to play center. I'm pumped, dude. I am pumped. Now, I know you're not. Why don't you tell us? <laughs> well, you have every reason to be pumped. And I, I, I keep texting you every day. I'm bothering you. Uh, you know, <laughs> basically saying uh, right now I'm pretty jealous because, like, bragging rights, uh, it's definitely going your way. So, yeah, I think so, dude. <laughs> uh, Philly teams right now, not so good. Um, you know, obviously, you, you know, the Phillies, but uh, yeah, let, we, we got to get to the Eagles first and foremost. Um, obviously. Uh, everyone heard the news yesterday, and actually, you were the one that broke the news. Uh, well, 
you didn't actually break it, but you got, you know, Hey, I, I had it pretty early exactly. as far as uh, the Eagles filed, fired Peterson. Yep. Exactly. So uh, when I first saw my phone, I mean, let, let, let's get this straight. First and foremost, I, I totally agree that Doug Peterson had to go. So I'm, I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at that in the least bit uh, because, you know, we, we talked on here numerous times uh, about the lack of cohesion uh, you brought it up. In fact, uh, you brought it up last week on the show. Uh, you know, the, the lack of communication, especially uh, in that last game, which uh, we spoke about length last week, um, you know, as far as if it was a tanking situation or whatever it was. Um, you know, I, honestly, I, I do believe that Doug had lost the locker room. So I'm not really surprised uh, that they're moving on from Peterson. Uh, nor am I upset about it. But, you know, for me, that's where it begins and ends uh, as far as them doing the right thing, the Eagles organization. Uh, quite honestly, Aaron, the Eagles have actually become the laughing stock of the NFL. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not. Kidding. I don't know if I'd go. I don't know if I'll go that far. Aaron, Dude, the, Jets I, are, the Jets are still in the NFL, Aaron, Jay. You're laughing. But it. it <laughs> It's just getting worse and worse. I mean, it's been a dumpster fire this year. Let's face it. One train wreck after another. Uh, You know, you've had numerous situations. You know, this player talking about that player. You had the Wentz, you know, Hurts controversy. It's just one thing after the other. It's just been one situation after another, which, you know, has led to, as I said, a dumpster fire. But let's be honest, these issues have been going on a lot before 2020. I mean, and, and, and that's where I have to get to yesterday's press conference, because I don't know if you heard it or saw any of it. But, you know, after they fired Doug, Jeff Lurie decides to go on a Zoom press conference and, you know, announce the firing and then basically give an update on the status of the Eagles. Well, before yesterday, my angst has really been about Hallie Roseman, the GM. But after yesterday's press conference, dude, Jeff Lurie is an absolute idiot. The Eagles owner may be worse than the Dallas Cowboys owner. And that's saying a lot because, you know, we hear a lot of complaints about that guy, Jerry Jones. Aaron, the press conference was absolute disgrace. It was a long, rambling, disjointed pile of crap, man. It was total nonsense. The guy was basically praising Howie Roseman, which I I don't know how you praise a guy who, since 2013, they've had 49 draft picks and one pro bowler. And you know how easy it is to make the Pro Bowl today. I mean, like oh, the Pro Bowl is a joke. Make... I agree. The Pro Bowl is a joke. Dude, yeah. It is. It was an absolute disaster, Aaron. This guy is a bumbling idiot. It was nauseating. I, I, I felt like I was listening to John Middleton again. Well, yeah. Well, be, well and t- Andy McPhail. It's because he's praising Howie Roseman so much, right? Aaron, is that what you're saying? Yeah, not not only did he praise him, he basically was saying, it, 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 without saying it, 
that he's the best GM in the league. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I'm just, I'm just getting you to elaborate. Yeah, I exactly. I don't know yeah. what he's smoking. Okay, he was asked about the drafts. There was a couple good, you know. I, I, that's why I love Eagles reporters because they're always, they're always on point, and they do ask the difficult questions. But basically, every difficult question that was asked, he basically, every answer that he gave was either a total lie or it was totally off like kilter. It, it had nothing to do with the question. So basically, you know, uh, I, I, I think it was Jeff McLean, you know, basically called him out about the terrible dress and why, you know, how he hasn't been held accountable. You know, you've gotten rid of Doug here, but, you know, who's holding Doug, you know, who's holding Howie accountable. And basically his answer came out to, the fact that he's happy it's not about the total results it's about the process of the results and he basically said there's five people on the Eagles staff right now as far as like assistant you know assistants in the front office that he could he has projected as being future GMs in the league like what the fuck <laughs> I, I mean I, I don't know what this guy is looking at or what he's seeing but I mean, Aaron, I I, I mean, it, it was just ridiculous. Um, you know, I I don't know what Jeff Lurie, you know, either maybe, you know, is he is he drinking Kool Aid? Is he related? Is Howie Roseman like his son? I I, I don't. <laughs> his, his bastard child, I mean, I, a secret to love child. I mean, I don't understand. <laughs> I I don't understand. And then, you know, you basically Peterson was made to be the fall guy. Oh, know? I mean, it's obvious now because last week, just last week when they had the cross conference with Roseman and Peterson, I had no idea that Peterson was getting fired. I was like, oh, here, yeah. they're bringing him back. Well, I, if I may, though, and I know we texted back and forth a bit. Here, here's the one thing. I don't disagree with your points as far as your vitriol for ownership and Howie Roseman and, and, and that they're the problem. I, I get it. That being said. I also get why Peterson was fired, and it's pos- It's quite possible that a week ago Peterson wasn't on the chopping block. Uh, well, that's. But I think, hold on. I think after what happened last Sunday night, it wasn't a surprise to me at all. Whether it was, whether it was because he was he went rogue in uh, benching Hertz, that's a possibility. And but I doubt it. Like you said, it came from up top. I I, I tend to agree with that. But even if it did come from up top, it got to the point where there was such a media backlash that the Eagles had to save face. Somebody had to be the fall guy. And maybe there's more than meets the eye. Like we saw all the tweets. You know, Peterson, what was the, what, what did Peterson say? What, what did we hear? We heard that Peterson for a long time had been tired of taking orders behind the scenes. It's one of the things I heard. So who knows? Maybe, maybe this was a, a mutual thing. I don't know, well, but I wasn't surprised at all about well, it. Well, honestly, I, I actually, I actually think Doug wanted to get fired. Uh, That's what I mean. That's what I mean. There was reports out there actually uh, earlier in the year that he had threatened to quit. And now, now it seems a lot more plausible, uh, you know, in hindsight that that was true. At the time those reports came out, like there was a lot of people that were bashing the report. Like, you know, even like guys with like, you know, a lot of credibility were bashing it. But to me now, I could totally see that. And, and I think a lot of it, like I said, goes back to the fact that, you know, Peterson was basically a yes man in this organization. And that's what, that's what aggravates me the most, Aaron, because I don't think it matters who the coach is. If, 
you have the GM and ownership in this case overriding the coach. I mean, exactly, exactly. Your 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 football guys should be the guys that have the most say when it comes to player personnel. And in the Eagles organization, in the Eagles hierarchy, it's totally opposite of that. And that's where this dysfunction is coming. And that's why I'm pissed off, Aaron. I mean, and then, you know, it's almost like, you know, when Lurie went on there yesterday, it's almost like he thinks fans are stupid. Because, I, you know, at, at another point, you know, he was asked the same question, but in a different way about how he's ineptitude. And at that time, he went on this tangent and he referenced the 2000 to 2009 Eagles who made four NFC championships. But correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron, Howie Roseman wasn't even there then. He was like, he was like the water boy to uh, Joe Banner. <laughs> I mean, he yeah. wasn't making those, 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 uh, those picks. But yet, Lurie used that as an example of why Howie's good. And I, it's almost like I'm, I'm thinking to myself, does he think that we like just missed that he went to something that was totally off base? Do, do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, no, I, I get it. I get as it. A I get fan, it. Yeah. I, I want honesty. And I, I, and listen, I'm not sitting here ex- expecting Lurie to go up there and say Howie Roseman sucks. You know, I'm getting rid of him. I don't expect that. But I expect somebody to be transparent. And I mean, this guy's just an idiot. Like after I, I, I agree. After that I press agree. conference yesterday, I have no faith in this organization fixing the issues. And it makes me all the more think that 2017 was an outlier, you know, and lightning in a bottle as Chris Long and many other Eagles that have left the team since then have all said is that that year was almost like it was an outlier. It was one of those years where – I, I actually believe it was. I mean, all the chips fell into place. Added up. I mean, and yeah. then think about it. You had Nick Foles, and I'm not – and I love Nick Foles, and I will always be indebted to the guy for winning the Super Bowl. But but be, let's be honest here. Nick Foles is not a great quarterback. He's yeah. not I even mean, a good quarterback. look at his numbers outside of that. Exactly. Look at his numbers everywhere he's been outside of those few highlights, half seasons he's had with the Eagles. I, I, it's mind-boggling. I mean, it's mind-boggling. I'm just, like I said, your teams are going on the up, and my team are going on the down, and it's just – it's sad to me yeah. that well, – I know you've been bitching about the Phillies too, dude. Well, and, and, and that's, what's, that's what's crazy about this, Aaron, because I didn't think that anybody could be worse than John Middleton. But now I'm almost thinking, like, you know, at least John Middleton signed – First of all, he, he he brought in a really good manager in Joe Girardi. I mean, I'm not I'm not one that thinks Joe Girardi is, you know, the best manager in the league, but he is a high profile guy and he has had success and he was a former player. So for that respect, at least I'm at least Middleton kind of went out and, and tried to at least get the, the big name guy. I'm not saying that big name guys are always the right name, right person for the job, but I also think that... But it shows that the effort is there, and it shows that the organization is willing to spend the money. Because let's be honest, with Joe Girardi's getting paid annually, you could pay a middle relief pitcher in today's game. Aaron, exactly. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's a lot of money. Well, that's my point. But And, and, you know, and and they also... They did... Listen, for what it's worth, they did sign Bryce Harper. I mean, I'm not saying... Now, looking back, that, that the contract that he took you know, is a lot less than some of these other guys, these high profile superstars are getting, but he also did that purposely. And when they signed him, he, he said it, they interviewed him 
he signed a lesser deal so that they would be able to afford other players. And that's the other thing that's been frustrating about Middleton is, you know, now obviously, um, you know, me and you have talked about it off the show about JT Romuto as far as, you know, you kind of think he's, he's overrated. But let's – I do a lot. I do but, a lot. But, he, but he's still one of the top – he is one of the top catchers in the league. He's not worth, he's not worth nearly well, what he's no, asking. he's not worth – he wants $200 million. And I'm thinking – Yeah, it's absurd. So for – for a catcher on the wrong side of 30, get out of here. But, no. but to my point, like I said, I, I here I am backlashing at, against Middleton. But at least, like I said, he has done some good things. You know, and then, of course, uh, you know, it's just they're not building to that team. So I, I stand corrected before, before you go on. Real Muto's 29. For some reason, I was thinking he had cracked 30. He's 29. Even still, he's not worth that money. The point. No way. The point. You there? I'm listening. Oh, okay. Yep. The point is, is that, you know, the Phillies problem is a, is a money problem. Whereas with the Eagles, it's almost like it's not about money because, you know, there's a cap. But it's almost like they can't draft. So, if you put both of the franchises together, their ineptitude is like at a ten, at a ten. So, I, I I don't know. I mean, you're you're an outsider, so I don't know what your opinion is. But obviously, I'm vested in it. So obviously, I'm gonna have a lot of anger and and angst. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, obviously, COVID affected the bottom lines of many teams. I don't know how the Padres are coming up with the money they're coming up with. I really don't. I don't know where the Padres come out, came up with all this money. That being said, outside of the Padres, who's really signed anybody, dude? The Yankees still haven't even made an offer to DJ, DJ LeMahieu. We're talking about the Yankees. We're talking about the Yankees, Jay. Yeah. We're talking about the Yankees. The T- I sound like uh, Alan Iverson. We're practice. <laughs> we're talking about practice. No, seriously. We're talking about the Yankees. No, the Yankees are the team that typically will offer a player – a contract above the expectation of what he's going to get on the free agent market simply to keep that guy from ever hitting free agency. That's the Yankees. The Yankees are the guys. I remember years ago when Boston had basically a, a signed contract from Bernie Williams, Yankees came in at the 11th hour to like outdo the Red Sox and keep Bernie. The Red Sox, the Yankees like paid double Derek Jeter to Derek Jeter, whatever he would have gotten on the open market, just so he never hit free agency. And here are the same Yankees haven't even offered DJ LeMahieu a contract. The guy just hit 340 for him. The guy's been nothing but a stud since he got there. Bottom line is, dude, it's not just the Phillies. All teams in MLB are suffering, suffering except, hold on, except somehow the Padres. And somehow, obviously, we can't explain the Mets. The Mets are in a great position right now because they just got out of, like, the doldrums of, of the Wilpon ownership, the Wilpons ever since the whole shit with Bernie Sanders, the Ponzi scheme, the Mets were playing like a mid to small market team in New York city, the biggest market. And what uh, the magic of what's going on with the Mets right now is that the sale came at the perfect time right now. The Mets just got bought out by Steve Cohen. Who's the, now the richest owner in all of MLB. He's a multi-billionaire, but not just that the timing is perfect because he didn't own the team during last season, the COVID losses. So he didn't suffer all the losses that all the other teams suffered during COVID. So it's like a clean slate, and he's just opening his pockets. So I, I, I get where you're coming from being pissed off, and I know why I'm excited. 
But I mean, I could tell you right now, if the, if the sale hadn't gone through, the Mets would be in a very, very bad position. As bad as the Phillies, if not worse. I can guarantee you that. I mean, seriously, we're talking a year ago when the Mets couldn't sign Wheeler. Uh, like, there's no reason the Mets couldn't have paid Wheeler what the Phillies did. And I know even a lot of Mets fans will say, oh, Wheeler shouldn't have got that much money because he had been hurt. He hadn't proven well. But, dude, in today's market, that's not a lot of money to pay a, a good pitcher in today's market. So the bottom line is the Mets are a year removed from that, Jay. So I, I obviously the Phillies are hurting. They're, they they clearly lost a lot during COVID. Yeah, but a, Aaron, lot, a lot of money. But Aaron. What? As you said, so did other teams. So, but yet here they are. Yeah, but that's why nobody's signing anybody. They aren't Jay. signing anybody Who, yet. Who's gotten anybody except yeah, the Aaron, Mets and Padres for the okay, most part? Listen, last year, last year showed that the market. It took a lot longer for players to sign last year than it did the year before. And that year, that year, it's, it took longer than the previous year. It, for some reason, like the winter hot stove has kind of almost went from being in. That's December true, too. To, that is all. Well, hear me out. Yes. So it's went. I am. So it's went from from December to like the year that Harper signed. It was in January. And now it's almost like last year it went into February. So I agree with you all at, at, at the point that nobody is spending. But I also do feel that the market is it's just taking longer and it's you know eventually like I could see a week or two from now you're gonna hear all these signings. And I just see I mean, you, you, just yesterday you had Liam Hendricks sign, who's another guy I wanted the Phillies to get. He was he's one of the best closers in baseball. I'm not saying he's the best, but he over the last three years he's had, you know, uh I think he's second in saves. The Phillies if there's one thing that the Phillies have to fix the most, it is their bullpen. So I said, you know what? Here's a good chance for them to say, to prove me wrong and go out and get the best closer in the game. And of course, they didn't. The White Sox got them. But my point is, is that Middleton, the year that he signed Harper, went on record saying, I'm going to spend stupid money. And I'm going to do everything and anything in my power to get that World Series trophy back in Philadelphia. Okay? So that's a big promise to make. Now, maybe he was stupid, no pun intended, with his words by saying he was going to spend stupid money. But the point is, (laughs) if you really do want to win, Aaron, I'm not saying that you could buy a championship because teams have tried it. And we've seen a lot of teams that have tried to buy championships and don't win like uh, aka the Yankees they've done it how many times and where they've had you know 250 oh, million the Yankees are the exception the Yankees are every well, year except like yeah. I said now but okay, go but on we, okay but there's been other teams too that have went out and tried to buy championships and still yeah. not won but my point is if you want to win in this day and age in baseball you do have to be willing to go over the tax it's just going to have to be something that you're willing to do. And so far, Middleton has said he's balked at it. And last year was a prime example. Now, they didn't make the playoffs. Now, either than the Mets. But my point is, is that the Phillies could have made the playoffs last year had they made the right moves down the stretch. But they traded for that guy, the closer from, from the, the Red Sox. I, I, I can't think of his name. Yeah, I know you're talking about. I'm drawing a blank, too. Uh, but- Brandon Workman, and he he was absolutely garbage. But my point is, is that it was all about money because they didn't want to they didn't want to go after the higher profile guys that were making more money. 
they cheaped out and they figured, oh, well, we'll fix the bullpen this way. And look what happened. It backfired. I would have rather have not traded anybody because in that trade, now the pitcher they gave up was a lower level prospect, but it's actually somebody that I was pretty high on. And from what I've read, this guy will be on the Red Sox major league roster this year, probably. So basically you traded. Um, here we go again with, with making dumb, stupid decisions where you trade a young guy that now the Phillies are not known for their farm system, but they do have a couple prospects and here they go and trade, you know, one of their good ones for somebody that was a waste. It's a waste of a roster spot. So that that's my other frustration is that at least the Mets, even when they were bad, at least they drafted good. And at least they had a good farm system. The Phillies, like the Phillies are like, inept with the farm system like the Eagles are in the draft. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, but let, let, let's back up a little bit to the prior points. I, what you were saying, yes, I agree with you in general free agency in recent years. It's definitely slowed down. The hot stove doesn't exist anymore. It's more like the cool simmering stove, <laughs> if you will, over months. But here's the difference, though. At the end of the day, we still knew last year that Harper was going to get the contract he got. We knew that... um What's his face that ended up signing Machado. with San Diego? Why am I drawing a blank? Tejada. Machado. From Baltimore. Machado. Yeah, Manny Machado. I'm drawing a blank. Okay. I'm thinking, for some reason, I had Miguel Tejada in my head. Don't ask me why. Manny Machado. Um, yeah, he, we knew they were going to get the money. The difference this year, Jay, is that nobody's signing anybody, dude. And I and here's the thing. The Mets, who would have been the prime location for Real Muto at that price, because the Mets had the money to burn with the new owner, they had the money to burn. So even if I thought he was overpaid, I think the Mets could have signed him, and I don't think it would have hurt them because they have that money, and it's disposable income at this point. They, I don't think it would have prevented them from building the team in other locations, other positions, but they didn't. They brought in McCann. The market for Real Muto has dried up, dude. He's The difference is Real Muto's not going to get that money. Guys that, guys that were looking for those good dollars, they're not going to get those, those dollars, which is why, honestly, I think the Phillies might end up with Real Muto and back with the middle of D. Day Gregorius as well. They're, they might end up with both of them because the market has dried up. The bottom line is, I think the Phillies may be crying poor, and I know they're in a big market, so maybe it is kind of inexcusable. But at the end of the day, they have that crutch because of COVID. We know all these teams lost millions, if not billions, of dollars combined. It is what it is, dude. I don't think all the teams have the money to spend outside of the Mets. And again, I don't know where the Padres came up with the money. And I will say one last thing. That doesn't mean I still support uh, uh, teams crying poor after all this. Because at the end of the day, when this all ends, this COVID nonsense, when teams, if the Phillies were to splurge and bring in stars and have a competitive team, they're going to make that money back by packing the ballpark and selling tons of concessions. Doing what they're doing is just going to lead to a 10,000 a night crowd. They're going to alienate. Versus a 35,000 a night. So, yeah, it is. Shooting yourself in the foot, I get it, but it is going to alienate you know? any of the fans that you would be getting back by doing that. And and, and you have that's I, I, that's my point well, exactly. But but the same thing's going to happen with the Eagles eventually if they keep doing the same. It's like the definition of insanity. Sooner or later, fans will get pissed off. Now I'm not saying obviously you have your you know your diehards that go to games regardless. They spend the money on the merchandise. I know that. 
But my point is, is the real way and the only way for fans to ever really make a difference and, and let their voice be heard. Because let's face it, they don't care what we say on Twitter and they don't care what we say on these podcasts and they don't really care. They don't give a shit about us. I mean, when it comes down to it, they don't. They're going to do what they want to do. But the only the only way that we can really make a difference is by saying, you know what, I'm not going to go to the games. I'm not going to spend money. Because eventually that will get to them. But I, I agree with you. And I, I honestly, I think – there's no better place to look than the Mets. I'm not saying it's because of the fans that the Wilpons finally sold, but I do think they felt the pressure more than any ownership in all of probably sports to sell the team. Ever since the, the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme and their involvement, and then them not having the money to spend being in New York, playing in the shadow of the Yankees, I, I've, I don't think any fan base in all of sports was as spoke outspoken about their ownership as the Mets, and I do think it had something to do with pushing the Wilpons to sell. I really do believe that. And that being said, I, I think there's something well, to that. I think the fans, I, I, that's where I think the fans can be heard. If it's enough, I, I I've seen it more lately with the Mets than I've ever seen it in sports in the past, because even like the seven line, I don't know if you follow the Mets at all with seven line army, but Darren Meenan, he was a, he's a guy from, I, I grew up in Queens and I know he's in long Island now, but um, dude, he's a Mets fan since he's a kid. He, he's like a, he's into like motocross skateboarding and stuff. But he, I think one of his friends, or he had a uh, T-shirt printing equipment in his basement or something. So he, start, he used to print T-shirts. So, the, you know, it goes back in like, I don't know, back in maybe 2011, something like that. Maybe later than that, but whatever. He started printing like T-shirts for himself to wear to Mets games. Like wh- whether it was like, don't trade Reyes, like at, during Reyes' last season with the Mets before he uh, ended up signing with the Marlins. Um, and like other issues, he, he had a, t- a T-shirt he made said, sell the team. Which is, again, this has been going on with the Mets for so long, wanting ownership out. So fans started approaching him at the games, and they'd be like, hey, where'd you get that shirt? And he made it. So he got the idea to start a business printing Mets merchandise. And for the first number of years of his business, he did it kind of like, I'm, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but like rogue. Like, And he actually got thrown out of City Field one time because he had a big banner that said, don't trade Reyes, and it had the seven-line logo on it. And because it was shown on like ESPN and it wasn't paid advertising, they actually threw him out of City Field. Anyway, long story short, he grew so much that he ended up coming to an agreement with the Wilpons. And he actually has his merchandise licensed by MLB now. And he has a kiosk at City Field, dude. And he probably sells more Mets merchandise than any other outlet, dude. And guess what? That's the fan speaking. He started all that. Just one kid selling T-shirts. Blew it up so big that he got a kiosk in City Field. He had to sell the team T-shirts in the beginning, dude. And now he's like, they have a section at City Field for like a lot of home games every year. If you ever look in center field, the whole orange section of fans, that's the seven-line army. They sell out like group group games where it's all seven-line army tickets. And dude, if you don't think that those fans are heard, then there's no other better example of it, dude. They travel to stadiums now. So, dude, I, I, it can be done. The fans can make a difference. I've seen it with the well, Mets. I've seen it with the Mets. Well, I guess – you know, I mean, I guess that's good news for me. But, you know, I, I, I mean, obviously you could feel my pain because you've been through it where you're, yeah. you've been frustrated with your teams. I, Are you familiar with the Seven Line Army? Only because you've told me about them. <laughs> yeah, and I wear their clothes yeah. all the time. I have a lot of their shirts, hats. But, I, but yeah. I, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess 
if anybody could give me advice on, you know, how to deal with the pain, it's you, because like I said, you, you've been through it, you know, Oh, Mets and Dolphins, man. I've been suffering for a long time. I guess I'm just not used to it. Well, especially with the Eagles. I mean, the Phillies, let's face it, they had that run, but then. But Jay, you can't complain to me. You have a World Series from the Phillies in 2008 and a Super Bowl from the Eagles in 2017. So as much success as the Dolphins had in their past and as much success as the Mets had when we were little, it's all moot now, dude, because it's like so far gone. Now here's, and this is, this will bring up a good subject. Because I almost sometimes wonder that, yes, I, I, I am, I'm, you know, thankful to God that I got to see, you know, the World Series in 08 and the Eagles, you know, Super Bowl in 2017. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm thankful to God for that. But it's almost like, would you rather have championships like that? Or would you rather just be good every year and be excited to watch your team Every year, I can answer. That. I want your I honest opinion. I, I can answer it honestly. I'd rather have the championship as much as I love being successful every year, and I'll tell you why. When we were kids, the Mets were great every year that we were young. As as, as far as like as soon as we got old enough to really follow sports, like um, I, I had a babysitter, Addie. That's she got me into the Mets when I was little. So eighty four, the Mets won ninety plus games. Eighty five, the Mets won ninety plus games. Won the World Series in 86, 108 wins. 87 won 90-plus games. 88 won 100 games, lost in the NLCS. 89 won 87 games, still finished in second place. And then 1991 won over 90 games. There was no wild card then. If there had been a wild card from 84 to 90, the Mets would have been in the playoffs every year. They were only in the playoffs twice because there was no wild card, and they won the division twice. You had to win your division back then to get in the playoffs. So it was a lot harder. That being said, as great as the Mets were all those years, it's a disappointment because they only have one world championship. Now, at least I got that world championship. And now let's look at the Dolphins. When I was a kid, again, I got into the Dolphins at a very young age because of the colors, admittedly, as I was little kids drawn to certain things. So before I even knew about football, I liked the Dolphins uniform. But then I loved Dan Marino. Dolphins were pretty good every year with Marino. I mean, they were 12 and 4, 10 and 6. They had some 8 and 8 seasons. But it was never worse than 8 and 8. It was usually 10 and 6. 11 and five. I mean, they were a good team every year, a playoff team. But growing up, the Dolphins won the division almost every year in the AFC East. It was like a given. They won the division with the exception of the Bills in that little run that they had when they went to four straight Super Bowls. It was Miami. There was no Patriots. There was no Jets. It was the Dolphins. Dolphins were good every year. But you know what? They never won the big one. And that's how I can tell you I'd rather win the big one because as good as Miami was and take Dan Marino as the example, as great as he was, Every day, you still got people, oh, you didn't win a championship. Oh, when's the last time you won a championship? Dolphins had the best winning percentage in the history of the NFL, cumulatively, until recently, until the Patriots run, and the Dolphins had some crummy seasons in recent years. You take all the cumulative seasons of their existence, they had the best winning percentage of all time. And it meant shit when people said, oh, but you haven't won since 73, or whatever. See what I'm saying? So you want to win that big one because you got those bragging rights. You win that Super Bowl, it buys you a few years. You get a pass, which is why it's actually shocking that Peterson's gone yeah, but, when you look at it that way. But getting a Super Bowl tends to get you a pass. You yeah, get but not some necessarily because I've said it to you and you're like, oh, you won one. But this is my point. No, but that's me breaking balls because the Eagles yeah, never won but, shit, ever. But, so it is. That's why I have to say that because that's like in a defensive mode because 
yeah, the Dolphins were good every year, but we haven't won a Super Bowl in so long. So, yes, I'm going to talk some shit when you're all bragging about the Eagles. I'm like, oh, you finally won one. Congrats. But at the end of the day, the reason we're even having that conversation is because you just won. You have those bragging rights right yeah. now. That's the only reason that conversation yeah, exists. But... If you didn't, it wouldn't I exist. Guess, I guess I guess, I guess, guess maybe I am spoiled because I guess the Andy Reid era, like, they were good every year. And yes, they didn't win. But look, if you hadn't won that Super Bowl, how would you feel about that right now? And you wouldn't have the same feeling. You'd be in the same boat as me. You'd be in the same boat. When's the last time you went here? Getting shit talked to you. You'd be yeah, in the same boat. Yeah, but I would also... Boat. But but the boat that you're in now is, is is a feeling of excitement around your team. Well, I get it, but that's only because we're talking about now. But that doesn't mean it's I, always no, been I, that. I, I, you know I what I'm saying? It, but yeah. I, guess, I guess I guess maybe it's like, I'm just I'm just in a letdown right now because it's just it's just like I'm not used to you know I'm not used to ha- the Eagles having the sixth pick in the draft. I mean I'm just not. Well, that's kind of exciting. Oh yeah, I mean it's not as exciting <laughs> you know? as having the. That's something to be excited as about. As having a third, but I will say I I I, I mean <laughs> I hope that I mean ha- how do you blow the sixth pick? I mean ha- as bad as Howie's exactly, been exactly, dude. I mean teams trade down from the third pick, so I mean a sixth pick's a nice. I mean pick, honestly, you know? like. My 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 concern would be that he's going to trade back, which I guess in 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 essence might not be a bad thing if you were to only trade back to like the ninth or tenth and get another another first rounder. Oh yeah, you which get more I, draft I, I guess that you know at that point I, I would have to say you know what he's doing what's best for the team, but the, you know Lurie did say they are rebuilding, so we are in a rebuild mode now. He basically came out and said it yesterday, so I guess that's my. You know, not to get back on the Eagles, but you know we're bouncing back and forth here. What what do you think they're going to do at quarterback? Because now here's where I'm confused because I definitely thought Wentz was gone, and you know they were saying how Wentz and Peterson had a rocky relationship, and there was all those reports. But now there's a ton of reports coming out that saying that now that Peterson's gone, that they're going to keep Wentz. So ah, uh, you know what? I'm not even going to speculate. It's been shut such a shit show so far. I don't even know what to think. So I'm not going to. I'm not going to speculate because I don't know. Honestly, I don't. I don't. Who would have thought that Hurts would have been starting all these games? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm. At the, at the beginning of the year, would you have thought that? I don't no, think so. Def- who, me? Definitely I mean, Carson not. Wentz is not far removed from being like the franchise. I mean, he's still. You know? I mean, and, and technically he still is. But, but I mean, it was just he had, the year that he had was so bad that, that it's like, I don't know if he is anymore, though. Well, that's, that's my thing. point. I don't know what they're thinking because I don't. I, I if I if if I had to guess, I think well, they're yesterday all Lurie called both of the both the, the, the question was asked yesterday, and Lurie basically referred to Hertz and Wentz as assets and talents. He didn't refer to either of them as being the franchise quarterback. I I know. Well, that obviously, mean he's much. not. Of course, think about it, Jay. Of course you're going to say that because, A, you want to have the one that stays know that you're behind them 100%. And, B, the one that you're going to trade, you don't want to, you know, ruin his value to a potential trade partner by saying, oh, he's washed up or he's, it's in his head or blah, blah, blah. Um, so, I again, I, I don't put I mean, into could, any of it. I don't it, know what to think. I mean, you know? I know this isn't out of the realm, and, and especially, you know, we've talked about this before, even about the Dolphins, if, if they would even be interested in p- taking another quarterback. But I, I, would it shock you if the Eagles actually either 
stayed at six and draft the best quarterback available or even trade up to like two or three and get, you know, one of the top quarterbacks and then move on from both Wentz and Hurts? I don't know. Like, I can guarantee you the Jets will – I mean, the Jets. <laughs> That's how bad the Eagles have been. I'm calling them the Jets. I can guarantee you the Eagles will not be drafting a quarterback. Mark my words. Okay, well, that's that's my prediction right now. The Eagles uh, very comfortable to make that prediction. The Eagles will not be drafting a quarterback. Well, you know <laughs> they, you they said they were a quarterback factory, and and then the way Lurie was talking yesterday, now they're a GM factory. When he was saying that, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Anyway, why don't we switch gears a little bit, dude? Let's get into the metal a little bit, okay. dude. I know a few a few episodes back when we were doing the pick of the week, which we've kind of foregone lately, a little format change. But I, if you recall, I gave my pick of the week was Rob Halford's book confession. Yes. I just had started the book at the time. Admittedly, I still haven't finished it. I've been so busy with work and I have, I, I do a lot of reading, whether it's sports articles, I do a lot of reading for work. You know, I read the paper every day, although I don't really read the paper. I read articles on my phone. <laughs> Who actually reads a paper anymore? But you know what I mean? I do a lot of reading. So in my free time, I haven't just solely been in the Rob Halford book. Not that it's not great because it is. And that's why I want to bring it up again. I'm actually at a point in the book, Jay, where it's up to uh, the turbo era. And I got to tell you, dude, I have a whole new appreciation for the turbo album. Judas Priest. Where do you, I know you did um your list for Philly Rock. Where did you rank turbo on your list? I don't remember. You remember? Um, I don't remember offhand. Can I look real quick? Yeah, yeah take a quick let me peek. Look. Yeah, I want to see where you rank Turbo. Because I, I, I kind of actually, um, I actually love that album. Uh, yeah, I know. I know it's easy to think, say, oh, I think I ranked it here off the top of my head because I know we, we know what we like. But when you're actually sitting down and contemplated the list, I'm curious where you put yeah, it. Yeah, I'm looking back now. That's the, uh, Blessings of the internet, right? I can actually go yep. back while we're on the show. Let's see this. Um, yeah, I'm pull pulling it up? it up now. Okay, I got it. At, it looks like I got it at 12. Okay, so I kind of figured you'd have it around there. I, I honestly did. I mean, because that's where we typically – it doesn't mean I don't love yeah. the record, but I just feel like you would always say Screaming for Vengeance, British Steel, Stained Class, Sin After Sin. Yeah, I mean, know, I, I had I it the 12, obvious but I, I wouldn't it, – it wouldn't, like, shock me if I if I went back and revisited and listened to it if it could have made the top ten because, I you know, I did have two of their newer records in the top ten, which, you know – yeah, I might. I know you might disagree with that, but I would disagree personally. But but neither here nor there. Let's get back to the point. I just was interested in that. And that's not. I'm I'm not surprised. You know, because I, even me, I I I still would rank those other records ahead of it. And don't get me wrong, because Priest has a great catalog. So just because I'm ranking those records ahead of Turbo doesn't mean I don't like Turbo. I love it. I love all the records. Bottom line is, dude, I just have a new appreciation for it. I, I highly recommend you read the book, dude. I mean, he opens up so much about his sexuality and about how difficult it was being a gay man in a heavy metal band and having never been able to be himself all those years for fear that he would ruin Judas Priest. Dude, it's so it's such a great read. Imagine being in that position. He was 
he couldn't be himself all those years in Judas Priest because when Priest blew up, he had to choose between himself and his own happiness or destroying the band that he also loved. What? So it was like when he did he born, actually make But then beyond new? that, well, hold on. But then beyond that, he had to. So he had to choose between his own happiness and not destroying Judas Priest because at the time it wasn't so accepted to be a gay man in general compared to today, but also especially in a heavy metal band with a big masculine macho audience. And then also if it did hurt the band, not only would it affect himself because he loved Judas Priest, but he didn't want to let his bandmates and best friends down, you know, Ian Hill, KK, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was so much. Now, as far as to answer your question quick, I, I, it was in the nineties. I remember when he came out, it was like after fight had come out. I think it was around when he did the two project with John Lowry, what produced by Trent Reznor. I think it was around that time. Remember they had the video for um, um, I Am a Pig? Is that the it was had the real SM video, but neither here nor there. It was in, definitely in the 90s when he came out. So this is years before he came out. But it, it, when, when, the reason I'm coming, going back to that Turbo record so much, obviously there's the obvious reasons that the sounds changed. You know, Turbo was the record where they started bringing in the synthesizers and the more popular songs you know formatted for radio and that was obvious why they were doing that they were trying to fit in with the trends of the 80s we get it but i i look deeper into it when you're reading the book around that time he had found his first love this guy brad had a a real deep loving relationship with him and in the book he talked about how obsessed he became with him that for the first time he wasn't really attached to the music and priest he was almost like going through the motions and, he's, and he talks in the book about how for the first time when he would go to the studio, he wasn't focused on Priest. He was so focused on Brad because he was missing him. It almost reminded me of like being in high school when you have your first crush and how obsessed you can be. But he didn't experience that until he was 32, 33 years old because he had never really found love before being a gay man. And now he had it. And, the, and Brad, of all places, was from Philadelphia. Um, so Rob actually would visit Philadelphia a lot. I don't want to reveal too much about the book. Yeah, I had. But, um, so... so yeah, so you gotta read it. He, so he'd go. So Brad would visit him in in the Bahamas while they were recording Turbo for a week or two, spend time with Rob, and then he'd go back to Philly. Rob was so obsessed that he couldn't focus on the band. He was like so insecure. And I just the reason I'm going back to Turbo is, like I said, the obvious reasons for the sounds changed. But I think Rob's not giving it enough credit how good lyrically it is in light of now reading the book and what he was going through. Like, dude, it's. It, I don't know if I'm not going to say the lyrics are deep or anything, but they have a d- whole different perspective knowing what he was going through and then, and then listening to the songs and the lyrics and just on a simplistic level, level how crazy is it that you could think back and have an arena is filled with 10, 12,000 metal heads singing, I'm your turbo lover, which is clearly about gay sex. Yeah. And you wondered if <laughs> at the time they even knew that. No, nobody wondered it at the time. Don't bullshit yourself. Nobody wondered it at the time. Nobody even had no, an inclination that Rob Halford was gay. I'm not saying gay. that. I'm saying I wonder if they realized that was what the song was about. Oh, band members at the time say they didn't. When you're reading the book, they say they really didn't know he was gay. But, like, they do acknowledge that some of the songs had certain meanings. But they didn't necessarily know Rob was gay. But in the book, he talks about wearing a handkerchief on one side. Apparently, that was, like, a thing for gay men to, when they were, like, hunting down other gay men to hook up. So he'd wear it on stage, and like if there was a gay man in the audience, they could recognize that he was gay by where he had the bandana. So many things in the book are just interesting to read that you would have never known. And again, like I just go back to the lyrics on that record and what Rob Halford was going through, 
and I read the read the book and then listen to the Turbo record. And the reason I I'm talking about it is because he spends so much time on that time period in the book because it was when he was in love with Brad. Brad ended up committing suicide. Now, if you if you read on Rob Halford's Wikipedia, they talk about Rob went to rehab as a result of the suicide. But in reality, when you read the book, you'll see Rob had already gone to rehab. And then after he'd gotten out of rehab, he was visiting Brad, who was still really messed up on drugs and drinking. And I, and that's when he, he ended up shooting himself in the head. And Rob was in oh. Philadelphia visiting Brad when it happened. Rob actually flew into Philadelphia with a mutual friend to visit Brad. Brad was like flying off the handle. Rob said, I can't stay here. I'm going to go stay somewhere else in Philadelphia. Within an hour, he tried calling Brad. He wasn't answering the phone. And Brad had killed himself. So it just all that was going on when Turbo was at, was was being recorded and then released, and it just makes me go back to that record and just it, it a whole new perspective on the lyrics, dude. It really is like because it's like it's obviously he was like madly in love. The lyrics are reflected in that. It was the first Priest record that also dealt lyrically with like songs about emotion and love versus more of like almost like Dio-esque lyrical content, you know, fantasy dealing in fantasy. And like metal gods and stuff like that. I mean, the, the Turbo Record deals in more grounded human emotion subject matter, and everything in the book. And you, you go back and li- read the book and listen to the record. It gives a whole new appreciation. I recommend anybody to yeah, do I, that. I really do. And it's really cool, dude. And I'm, while I'm talking about it, you know, Turbo was supposed to be a double album called Twin Turbos. I did. Know did that. you know that? Yeah, and I, I didn't really ever think about it. But I, I, all the if you listen to the 30th anniversary versions of all these priest records like Screaming for Vengeance, Defenders of the Faith, whatever, they almost all have some extra songs, and almost all those extra songs that were added on the 30th anniversary right. editions are songs that were recorded during the Twin Turbo sessions that they cut when they made it one record. That's really yeah. bad. Now that's cool. Yeah. Now I'm definitely gonna have yeah, to very go cool. back and check out the whole catalog, but. But definitely just go well, back and just listen to Turbo. I, I, mean, I definitely want to read the book. Uh, as far you got to read the book. I'm only up to there, so I still I still have almost well, half the as book. Far as ter- it's as an far amazing as read. Goes, it's a great read. I, I mean, I've always thought it was an underrated record. As and like I said, having it at twelve doesn't mean it's a bad album. Because I, I I mean honestly, there's probably people that would have had it a lot lower than that. But I I always thought that. You know, it was actually pretty cool because it had that glam sound that I always liked. And, you know, like the synthesizers, like you said, I mean, I, I had a couple favorites on there. My, my, my couple favorites are Parental Guidance and Private Property. Th- those were my personal favorites on, you know, from from that album. But. Yeah, I mean, I like a lot of songs. My personal favorite is probably Out in the yeah, Cold. Well, that's another good one. I, I think they're all, every Great, track right? on the album is good, like you said. And I, I think. You're right. Once I go and read this, I'm definitely going to want to revisit that album. And I'm sure revisit yeah, yeah. probably all the albums because I always do with when it comes to great books. Because uh, you're right. It's like it almost brings you back to that time period. And then you want it that you want to hear the music. So, you know, what? You, you just you hit the nail on the head. The reason the reason I love reading rock autobiography so much is obviously because I love the artists that I'm reading about. That's obvious why i read them but beyond that it makes me almost like live what they lived while i'm reading it and as a rock fan i love that i love that and then as i'm getting to the different periods it makes me go back and re-listen to the records and i always have like a whole new appreciation for the record 
knowing the background and what was going on with the band when they recorded the record and where they recorded the record. And it just, if you know, every, it always just changes the whole perspective of everything. When that, whenever I read a book or when I know the background of the record. So like, same thing when I'm reading Rob Halford's record, like I go each record as I'm reading in the book, I, it makes me revisit that record. And if I spend a couple of days on a chapter, I spend that day or two listening to the album. And that's why I spend so much time sometimes taking to read a book when I'm really enjoying it because I don't rush through the book. Like a lot of times I'll read the book and they might mention like an old concert that they did and I'll go look the concert up on YouTube. So I, I'm reading the book and I get away from the book because now I'm looking at the concert that they're talking about in the book on YouTube. I do that kind of shit all the time. It's such a great experience. It's an experience I recommend any rock fan to get into. It's almost like the new version of like buying an album, staring out the staring at the artwork and reading the lyrics. Since everything's digital now and nobody's doing that, this is like my new output. Like when I was a kid, I was so pumped. I'd go get a record, I'd get home, I'd put it on, and I'd spend hours and days listening to the record over and over again, staring at the artwork, staring at all the pictures and reading the lyrics. And the, it, I'd get memorize the words and I'd, I'd interpret the lyrics and the songs would have so much more meaning with knowing the words and the different musical parts and blah, blah, blah. Now it's like I'm doing it with books. I do it with books. I the books, I go back to the record, I look at old footage, blah, blah. It's it's awesome, dude. It's 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 an amazing experience to me. I, it's something I love. I, I cherish it. It's a, it's an outlet for me. No, you know? I mean, you've you at it. I always would read books occasionally, but I got to be honest. You're the one that got me into reading. You know, obviously, I read other books. I read sports books too, but mostly I read rock books, and for the same reason because love you them. told me yep. that when I do that, not only would I get you know, a better history of the, of, of my favorite bands and, you know, our, our artists that we, that we enjoyed growing up, but I would have a different, like I said, like you said, a better appreciation for what they meant to, 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 to me personally, because of what, what it kind of did during those time periods that I was growing up listening to them. And, oh yeah. And I, like, it also brings you yeah, back to those time periods as much as it makes you explore what the, the album meant to the artist and makes you enjoy it more for that reason. It brings you back it, to that period. Definitely. Too. And uh, you know, I, I mean, it's you're awesome. the one that got me into it and I've, I've read a lot more since you, you know, you told me to start doing that. Obviously. Um, oh, obviously I love doing uh, it. Man. You know, occasionally I'll even still buy a hardcover book and, and get it, you know, here, but mostly, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, going online and getting those yeah, copies. But, yeah. Um, Real quick, did you hear the new John Sykes uh, song? No, I, I have to I check it out. I know you have to. Really, you got to check it out, man. I, yeah, I will check it out. Definitely, uh, it's definitely refreshing. It's got it's got kind of a new new age vibe to it, but you know, it still has you know. I mean, anybody that knows John Sykes knows he's a phenomenal guitarist. So, hell yeah. Uh, What's the name of the track? Brand right? new day. Yeah, check it out. It's on YouTube. All right, I'm gonna check it out. All right, we'll do. Anyway, brother, I actually have to get going. Um, it's been a great show. Uh, as always, enjoyed it. And uh, dude, I hope, I hope for your sake that you cheer up for the Phillies and the Eagles. <laughs> I, well, I already cheered up. Uh, you know, doing the show here with you. So awesome. Good job, man. All right, Jay. For everybody out there. Keep on. And that's our show. Tune in next time for more sports and metal.
with Jason Voorhees and Aaron Savage. Oh, yeah. Got something to say? Hit us up at Sports and Metal 0423 at Yahoo.com or on Twitter at Sports and Metal.